believe people with who they say they are and it doesn't have to be a problem and it and inherently isn't the only reason it becomes a problem is if we make it a problem and knowing that people know themselves better than we ever really will so whether you're a friend or a loved one um, who has somebody who is questioning their gender identity or knows their gender identity they're getting connected to the right people. I think that that's what most people want is like for their loved one to be safe and cared for and for it to be a decision that is best for them. But you can't know that. So coming alongside of those people that you love in their journeys matters. Based out of the University of the Fraser Valley on unceded traditional lands of the Stolo people, we are the Community Health and Social Innovation Hub or Chassis for short. We support the social, mental, emotional, physical, and economic health of those living in our communities by bringing together experts from across disciplines. Those experts have some incredible stories and insights. To share those with the communities we serve, we bring you the Chassis Cast, a monthly program where we drill down on a current topic and chat about how it impacts our lives. Well, I'm really excited today to be able to have a conversation with one of my favorite people, uh, a former student. And Stacy, thanks so much for taking the time today. And I wonder if we can just start by you sort of introducing yourself a bit and talking a bit about your experiences. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to get this together for quite some time, but um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Stacy. I use he and him pronouns. I live in uh, Mission, so on the land of the... Lakamel, Matsui, Sumas, uh, Kwantlen, Scowlitz peoples. I guess a little bit about myself. I ended up getting my my social work degree uh, at UFV, although met you in sociology, which changed my life, by the way. So thank you uh, for that. <laughs> Honestly, um, first time I ever really felt su successful at school. Um, but got my social work degree. I've been involved in social services and healthcare work for uh, the last 10 years, um, mostly at a youth health clinic, but um, connected to often youth and young adults and lower barrier um, uh, healthcare services. Uh, and also kind of what we'll be talking about today uh, have been supporting conversations. Uh, so people of all ages around the topic of gender identity for the last 17 and I also have my master's degree in, in social work um, with a clinical specialization. So kind of counseling is, is also a part of my uh, career uh, path, as well as supporting um, a team who can provide information and resources around gender identity and gender diversity. So, so you've been doing that for 17 years. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about what that's, how that's changed? I mean, we're in, we're in times that are very difficult and... What's it? What 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 do you think about when you think about the last seventeen? I mean, so different. I think the the conversations being had, visibility, is is just has increased so much. Um, you know, seventeen years ago there were of course trans people. I mean, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, there were trans and gender diverse people um, and non-binary identities. Just wasn't really recorded in history in the same way, but uh, social media um, really kind of 
people are sharing glimpses of their life and their exploration of that and how powerful and meaningful it is to them. Um, of course, with that visibility comes folks seeking access to care. Um, and so Pathway 17 years ago was often one place in Vancouver and only by kind of knowing someone in real life, IRL, mm -hmm. um, did you really kind of know what that looks like? And so a lot of information sharing um, from person to person uh, was, was how care used to be accessed. Whereas like now you can pop on the internet, Google almost anything, um, which comes with good and bad to kind of figure out what, what it looks like. And mm -hmm. so um, I think it's so amazing that there is kind of the awareness um, because a lot of people didn't know anything before. And it was only when it mattered to them immediately that it was remotely a topic of conversation amongst people. Whereas now it's a very big topic used as a, a political token um, now, which it wasn't before, which mm. there's, I think there's very specific reasons for that, but. Well, I actually yeah. would love for you to talk about that. I hear that a lot from my students, right? So they, they really so often trying to, as quite frankly, sometimes am I trying to figure out how we got here, right? So you kind of look at that lineage and you think, I thought we were going there mm -hmm. and, and, you know, are we back there? Are we someplace new? But it doesn't feel very good. And how did we get to this spot? Yeah, I'm sure it's a super complex answer. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you really dive deep into it, I think what stands out to me as a part of that answer is that it, it's, it's political in that people are like, no, we don't want that part to exist. We don't want what we think comes with gender identity and gender diversity to exist in in society. And so it's using um, it as a topic of conversation to put bills up against um, accessing or banning access to, to care for trans and gender diverse non-binary folks. It's, it's meant to give other people who really don't know anything about the topic a point of contention so that they can get a voting base. Mm -hmm. Um, I think is, is part of it. I think the other part of it is that there's fear is a driver. Oppression is real. Um, and as we were kind of chatting about a little bit earlier, this is something that we've seen happen to oppressed and marginalized communities in the past, right? Like interracial schools, uh, segregation um, or with black people, um, HIV and AIDS epidemic, and not wanting to address that in healthcare, um, LGBTQ like rights and, and gay marriage. I think all of those things are topics that ended up being political, but they, they weren't previously. It was that somebody loved somebody else or somebody had this medical condition that they contracted through engaging in activities with, with part, a partner or partners. But somebody has something to gain out of it. And I often question, what do they have to gain? And then I realized it's, it's power, it's control, um, more privilege than they probably already have often coming with like money and, and decision-making mm -hmm. off of the backs of people's bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When during these times, you know, we're coming uh, out of pride month, although I, uh, you know, we extended over the summer, I, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is fabulous having uh, Vancouver celebrated a little later than, uh, than others because we get to enjoy it. How do you, in these times sort of balance this fear factor, this, um, 
oppressive discourse. And yet, you know, we were mentioning earlier this need to celebrate and, and, and be proud. What's mm. that like for, how are you seeing that manifest itself? What's that like for you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of joy and connectedness amongst community when they're with community. I think the fear comes from the backlash from the mis and disinformation that's online of people who are kind of presences online, um, who have maybe some knowledge in, in other areas that people come and align with in terms of their ideology. And they're like, oh, that person must know what they're talking about. Uh, and then you listen to them and it's very clear on this topic, they do not. And so they share and spread this mis and disinformation, which elicits fear um, and outrage because what they're talking about is um, often like portraying uh, gender identity and, and uh, access to medical care related to transition or transitioning because that looks different for folks um, to like violence uh, towards young people. Um, and also uh kind of backtracking to talk about mental illness. And so I think that the fear around that and being exposed to that as, as people like for people with lived experience um, can be really difficult. And then you're kind of trying to navigate life, um, which for some it's, it's very visible um, in trying to access just community life, going uh, like anything really going to the bathroom, going to a grocery store, mm -hmm. anything and, and having people um, promote hate speech um, and, and sometimes talk about violence as, as a answer or solution um, when, when dealing with the community. And I think like those, those are all very real, which is the importance of, of talking about it and having allies and really um, educating right? Like combating the mis and disinformation. And so then you have people who are misdirecting their energy, um, putting it to where it actually needs to be. And it makes me think of um, drag story time mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, for Pride and, and how there's protesters who are protesting about sex trafficking uh, and pedophilia. And it, it's like, well, hey, those things do matter. And so let's get you connected to the community organizations and nonprofits that are actually doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Like, let's take your outrage around those things, which are shared, by the way. That's, these are not, that's not something that divides the, the, the queer and trans community from the cis heteronormative communities. I think that sex trafficking, violence against others is a sh shared topic. And so trying to direct them and say, take that hour, take that time. Instead of just surfing and coming across stuff on social media that's just easily accessible, which is often hate speech. It's just disguised as care for other people, um, which is actually blocking care from other people, by the way. So this is the mis and disinformation part that it's like, hey, like spend that hour actually connecting and getting proper information from the experts, whether that's on gender identity or whether that's on sexualized violence and survivors, how to support survivors of sexualized violence mm -hmm. and, and engage in broader awareness activities. I find that really interesting because um, 
it's an interesting angle in, right? So, you know, there's a big part of me that in those moments simply wants to say, you know, your hate is toward, you know, me and my community and my family. Um, and therefore, this is your sort of your avenue into that hate. And I think it's really interesting and potentially very productive the way you're looking at it to say, well, what if we flip that and say that the issue is the issue for the person? They're just directing it in the wrong direction, right? Which yeah, I think is really interesting. Totally. And and I think that that's a tool of yeah. of the oppressors, right? Is to kind of go, oh, but this, th the problem is this, but this is where you go to address it. And it's the trans community that's the problem because they're making our young people question their gender identity. And my thing is like, well, technically, lots of people question their gender identity. That's how cis people know they're cis and trans people know they're trans and non-binary people know they're non-binary. And same thing with, with sexual orientation. That's how people know they're, they're gay or straight or bisexual. We, we, we are meant to question so we can know our, our truth and our answer. And so by kind of saying, hey, this is the problem. This is, this is where you, this is the target. People get, certain people, a very few small people, mostly with political agendas, that's, that's where they, they send people to. And, and it's fair. It, it, I, when I hear the narrative that young people are being forced to do anything, um, especially when we're talking about altering bodies, like that, of course, is concerning. Yes, that is concerning. Who is forcing anybody to do anything on their body? That is violence. That should not be happening. Consent is a real thing. Uh, accessing experts who, who are really considerate and hyper aware of the climate, who, who've done work, who continue to do work because they've seen the good outcomes for their individuals that the rest of community doesn't see because people are just going and doing their lives. People don't get exposed to trans, non-binary, gender diverse, and two-spirit folks who are and doing things. They just aren't. And so, therefore, if they don't see them, that must just be a false, scary narrative. And so they believe the people that are spouting off about it. Mm -hmm. So I think challenging that and saying, hey, what are you actually most concerned about actually addresses the fear that, that drives them. And, and then they're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to be afraid of two-spirit, trans, and diverse non-binary people. I actually have to be focused on actually being part of the solution, which is connecting to the matters, the agencies, the organizations, getting educated on topics that matter to me. And fortunately, social media isn't always the best resource, but it can be, right. but it can be. And so I think supporting people to be consumers, there's a word I'm thinking of, but uh, kind of aware of like what they're taking in, who is this person, what are they speaking about, how do they know this information to be true versus just going, hey, I think we align politically, so maybe this person, you know, knows what they're talking about. Because we've been taught that when people are talking about things, like thoroughly and passionately, that they know about them. And that, that isn't always true. Yeah, great point. Pronouns, they mm. seem to be the right? <laughs> yeah. lightning rod. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that, what you've seen and, and, and how to respond and... Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, everybody has pronouns, right? Everybody has a gender identity, even if it's not a non-binary identity. And so I think it's easier and, and almost a way of deflecting by saying, oh, well, I don't know how to use they, them pronouns. And it's like, eh. but, but you, you, you do it. You just, nobody's ever pointed it out to you. And so 
I also think it's sometimes individuals kind of reject pronouns as an important piece um, as a way of controlling, if I'm being honest, right? Mm -hmm. Controlling the narrative about somebody. And it's like, mm, I don't want to validate that for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and my question would be, why? Why? And if we were just inherently validating people's pronouns, this wouldn't be a conversation. It, it, right? We would be like, hey, your pronouns are they, them? That's great. Mine are he, him. What, what are yours? Great. Yeah. Thank you. And move on. Yeah. And same thing with gender identity. It doesn't have to be a topic. Um, it, it does because it's being politicized and because people are really trying to fight against it. But otherwise, if we just supported people to go to the right pathways, the right people who are also looking out for their well-being. So if those people are like, ooh, there might be a little bit more support needed here, they're going to try to support the person before just kind of ushering them into some some form of transition like that doesn't really people don't want that they're not risking their livelihoods and their professional careers of 10 years plus whatever they've done in the field that's just education for 10 years mm -hmm. to rush somebody through something that they don't actually feel is an appropriate fit for them but yeah but i also think pronouns are super important so i think that like honoring somebody's pronouns finding ways finding strategies on how to do it it might not be easy, but it's practice. And it's definitely not hard, right? And if it's hard, it's because you're resisting it. Yeah, because yeah. we use pronouns to talk about people all the time. Yeah. I wonder if you might relate it to that, you know, uh, New Brunswick and the conversation about notifying parents uh, in schools. So that's mm -hmm. been, it's really interesting, sort of that coalescing of political power around organizations that are using that to motivate political participation of, you know, I would argue far right mm -hmm. um, sort of interests around that. But what about that? So the concern, so it, it's interesting to me because I, I love how you're sort of saying, what's the fear? What's the worry? And then how do we address that? Mm -hmm. And the, the worry that's raised is to say, well, if, it, if parents aren't supportive, then you don't want the teacher to have to tell the parents that there's a choice around pronouns or name. Others obviously are arguing we want parents to know because we want them to be able to wrap themselves around children who might be asking or thinking about uh, identity or pronouns. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, again, I think if we think about the fear of that, it's kind of like, well, a big, a big narrative that comes up around fear with youth is being influenced, right? They're being somehow being influenced to, to question their gender identity and to be a part of the trans and two-spirit non-binary communities. And I don't, that, it's been my experience that I, like it, that isn't true. Like simply like talking about it doesn't inherently make it somebody's truth. Mm -hmm. But if there is that concern for a select few, maybe, you know, young people who have lots going on in their life and maybe this isn't, so, maybe there's something they're exploring and they're just not sure how to handle it. I mean, talk with the young person, have that conversation and be like, hey, I'm noticing that you're using this name or using these pronouns at school and you're, you're not sharing that with your family like what's going on there yeah. and and looping in other professionals that can maybe support that conversation for that young person because maybe they just needed support to come out to their family um i think outing someone is we've seen this with um the 2slgbtq community historically is, is actually super problematic and can be dangerous yeah. um so i think that if it's the fear that somebody's being influence then maybe that can actually be the conversation is hey i'm noticing that there's something going on for your young person and like they're connecting with with their peers in ways that i'm, I'm curious like are you noticing anything at home like have the conversation mm -hmm. about influence 
don't make it about gender identity. Where is the young person being influenced? Um, and see how to support them best. Outing them just changes the conversation to be back about gender identity. It doesn't focus the conversation around like, hey, like how are you supporting that young person to navigate growing up and mm -hmm. making decisions that are best for themselves and kind of coming into their own autonomy and independence. But those are harder topics. Yeah. Even though, even though they're not, right? It's easier to blame gender identity. It's easier to blame this new, I'm using air quotes here, but like <laughs> trending um, topic as the issue. So I actually think it causes further harm, which people are trying to avoid in the first place. But it's by outing young people. And then it's going to put young people like at risk. Mm -hmm. And we know that, uh, and there's research done by accredited universities uh, that do talk about the risk fa factors to young people. And, and part of that is um, it's not because of their gender identity or their gender diversity, but it's actually because of the lack of support, violence, um, the experience that puts pe young people at risk. And when they have at least one supportive adult, that increases their health outcomes. So I, I would invite people to, and I, I recognize that this is kind of like their, their, their work livelihood is put on the line if they don't do this because that's what's being asked of them and that's what they're being told they have to do. But to really explore like what other ways can I support this young person versus just having to default to a rule that if they really asked why this rule is here, is it in the best interest for the young person? Mm -hmm. And that's who they're saying they're looking out for, right? Yeah. And that's why we have Mature Minors Act in healthcare, right. right? That's why we have laws supporting young people who have the ability to consent or not, like those kinds of things in place. And so... I was going to ask you another question about pronouns, but I'd love you to actually talk about those ideas of consent and mature minors and a bit of that because it's so connected to people's worry and fear, right? And 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 not understanding sort of aspects of autonomy that are so much more nuanced and complex. Um, mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I don't I don't have it all in front of me, but yeah, no. but my best recollection is like mature minor is essentially somebody that's at the age of twelve. Um, depending on their individual situations, may have the ability to provide consent to accessing certain aspects of healthcare. Mm -hmm. That is assessed individually. We know 12-year-olds that maybe aren't as farther along, and some 12-year-olds, and you're like, I can't believe you're 12. Um, we also know that of 16-year-olds, mm -hmm. some of which have jobs and drive they can become lifeguards and literally guard human beings' lives and have that level of responsibility, operate machinery that could take somebody else's life. Mm -hmm. um, and so they do have the ability to, to discuss aspects of healthcare and speak with a provider who will determine with them if they actually know enough to be able to provide consent. So it's not just inherently somebody's 12, they have the ability. It's kind of 12 there is kind of a general understanding that someone at that age can, they could be able to consent to care, but that is not just inherently meaning that yes, they have access. It, so yeah. that's what, that's what kind of stands out to me uh, around that. And it is, it's, it's law. Um, and it, from my experience, not just around gender identity, but healthcare access for, for young people, that is so important. Um, because as adults, we try to govern and protect. And 
in doing so, we actually limit care uh, and support for, for young people often. Some people are like, 12 is too young to be able to consent to sexual activity. I am not in disagreement of that. I also am not and do not, just as others don't have the ability to be there and, and stop every moment where a young person might choose and make a decision for their body, even at 15, to engage in, in pleasure, if, if that's what it is for them. Or maybe it's pressure. And, and so that's why these conversations about consent overall are so important. And consent isn't also just about sex or accessing healthcare. Consent is about understanding oneself and their ability of knowing how to say no. And that is so that they don't get taken advantage of in, in their work, in, in life, in their partnerships, in so many different areas. So I don't know. I think adults infantize in certain ways when it benefits them. And, but we're also willing to give them super like tons of responsibility. And that just differs based on the benefit to the adults, I think. How important is age in trans care and thinking about that because that comes up, you know, continually? Yeah, I think um, it for sure. It, it's a very sensitive kind of topic. Individual assessment, again, is super important, right? Like not all 15-year-olds are the same. Not all 15-year-olds' goals are the same either. Um, and so... It isn't necessarily a determining factor, but it's an extra consideration for the mm -hmm. providers who are going to do the care. It's like, hey, what about this is an option for this young person? Let's make sure what they understand about it. So it's kind of, it, the age indicates the conversations and safety precautions, mm -hmm. I would say, that go into care planning. Because mm -hmm. it's not a one-size-fits-all. And it's not a slippery slope. It's not like, well, person's trans. Let's get them on the on the trans train. Uh, that doesn't exist. But um, <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to say that. But I think you know, now it does. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so I think it it really frames up for the the adults and healthcare providers and professionals involved. What does the care planning look like for this young person? Um, because it doesn't. It also needs to be age appropriate and um, kind of. The development of, of bodies differs at different ages and stages um, for young people. So age is just an indicator yeah. of, of that, I think. And, and also, I, I think the conversation around consent and to capacity consent is, is a lot more structured and thorough compared to adults, right? Because adults can engage in informed consent fairly, fairly easily. It's like, yes, this is what I know to be true. This is why I want to access this care. This is what I've researched. And so adults can kind of have those conversations, but it's also shocking how many young people also are so well-versed and researched. And also doesn't mean that the care just kind of switches to that of the same access of an adult. Those there's still those conversations. There's still, how are you supported? And that, that also happens at, at all ages. I, so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I, I think age is, is viewed. And, and, and there's a lot more involvement of other specialists, depending on age too. Mm -hmm. I think the younger that folks are, that, that is um, definitely a part of the, the care planning. So pediatric endocrinologists are involved, making sure that if puberty blockers is a part of the care plan, everything is monitored. Um, and so that's kind of one piece there. And I think the other piece that's specific 
and very intentional mis and disinformation is surgery for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like altering bodies and genital surgeries in, uh, specifically. And kind of the, the age of majority is really kind of where the main point of access is for most people. I would say where it comes in for older youth is where there is kind of the history where they've been involved in programs and care. And there's that documented um, medical history where it shows, Hey, this is the, this person is persistent and consistent with their identity. They've been waiting actually um, probably longer than they would have wanted to, to still be able to access those points of care. So it's not a quick turnaround time. It's not, um, an agenda to have somebody just rushed in and, Oh, well now they're part of the community. Like that's not, mm-hmm. um, part of, part of how it works, but there, people are led to believe that that's the case and that mm-hmm. there's a trans agenda and, um, they're somehow co-opting young people and their bodies into being trans or gender diverse or non-binary kind of is, is part of that. And, I can't speak for a community of people, but I would venture to say that nobody wants people to be trans or non-binary that aren't. Mm. They want people to be able to be themselves. And I think that that kind of aligns with queer community, like broader queer community in terms of like, hey, like love who you love. You might be attracted to certain bodies or not. Engage with people in a consensual way, however you choose to do, as long as they're able to provide like consent. Mm. Um, and there's some legal ramifications around like age of consent around kind of sexual activity and those kinds of things. So of course, but also thinking in reducing harm because if people are going to do it, how do you make sure they're as safe as possible? Mm-hmm. But that's, that's a little different. So kind of talking about the two, but for gender identity. Yeah. And it's interesting. I'm always struck. And I think I have been since probably I was thinking about coming out when I was in my early twenties. Right. And about this idea of enticing or, you know, um, somehow this identity that, you know, right now when we think of where we are, and certainly when I was in my early 20s, that was not appealing. Like a lot, like, you know, people didn't, hated who I was at my core. Um, There was no incentive. There was no, nothing that drew me on that side, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of who, living my true self. And I think of where we are now, and it's, 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 it's hard to engage when people are so attentive to this idea that young people could be enticed into an identity that is hated with such bile at the moment, yeah. right? Yeah. I, like somebody's like, great, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing yeah. somehow to be a part of a community that's like hated and politicized and uh, accessing healthcare is like difficult. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's also changed to to kind of come alongside people in a little bit of a different way these days. But previously it was, it was quite rigorous and actually very dangerous for people Mm -hmm. to go through with medical transition in a sense of they had to live outwardly for, for, for real life experience before even accessing care. Mm -hmm. So people were targeted and, and so lots of, especially trans femme and, um, non-binary femme presenting folks experienced violence, mm-hmm. uh, very real violence. And, and we see that in the States still too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would, when people are like, yeah, there's this co-opt of, of people coming together to try to make uh, people trans I, when there's violence the way that there is and, you know, the rates of, of murders and in, in violence, in, especially in the U S that we see, but it, of course it happens here too. Um, 
is as high as it is, like, yeah, like what's the actual benefit? And as you're saying for kind of your own experience, like they're just, it's not, you're just needing to live your truth. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when you have other people, which maybe even is your family who would love you unconditionally. And now they're actually saying like, no, what you're going through is a phase or that's not real or you're mentally ill who will love you, who will care for you. And really kind of putting these like harsh things in your face. And when people actually are supported, again, this is in research, they do, they do better. They can get along with their lives. They can have a partner or partners. They can have friendships. They can have connection to, to community in not just queer and trans community, but like their local communities or specific areas of interest communities. Um, and also like give back to community. I think that's kind of the other thing that I very much see in queer communities is like this sense of caring and coming alongside of each other and, and looking to actually create solutions to social problems that don't just affect the community that are like broader in scope. And so I, I think that's kind of the greatest power. So I think we kind of often talk about the fear and the challenges that come along with it, but there's also this beauty and strength that comes through being a part of a community that is, is lied about, like people lie about them and people, right. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of like queer and trans joy and trying to find that in these times. Um, and that isn't actively and readily available in society, right? I mean, if pride needing to be a thing after all these years, when for the queer community, it was fighting for their rights. It's kind of the same journey that trans people and non-binary people are going through right now. I think we're really good. We talk about it a lot in the hub. I think the queer community it's really good at bringing protest and celebration together. I mm -hmm. think we we do it maybe better than anybody else, yeah. right? And yeah. and finding those spaces. And I, but I'm also struck with that is that that desperation around celebration. I was mentioning, you know, the tea dance was so amazing, but it was also palpable that there's so little celebration of who we are. And so I think you really could feel that, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I think we're pretty pretty darn good at it, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I, th and I think it's because it's kind of like, hey, I've worked so hard against odds to be who I am, to show up and make it and find community and find my purpose and just can belong. Um, and belonging is super powerful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot in society that actually tries to make people not belong. Like, well, if you're into this, you can't do this. And right, they, they put up these superficial barriers and it's like, well, actually, that doesn't have to be. And when I think about kind of the rainbow and pride, a lot of people are like, well, straight people don't fit in there. And it's like, well, then that's a choice because if you're really celebrating identity and diversity of humanity, including sexual orientation and gender diversity and, and, and right. And, and ability and race and culture and all these things that are involved in humanity. And, and pride is kind of, centered around queer identities, but it, that can be brought out. And it's like, it's really asking and stepping into, hey, celebrate yourselves. Everybody has a place here, as long as you're willing to also say that people have a place here. And also something that I find um, super interesting is there was a, a book by Dr. Um, Martin Brokenleg around, uh, it's really about belonging. And so whenever somebody is kind of 
this idea of a circle and that when somebody does something wrong, they're kind of removed from the circle. And, and then this kind of idea of like, you can only come back if you fit our standards, as opposed to expanding that circle and going, you know what, maybe you made that mistake. Maybe this is a wrong thing by behavior, not by identity and who they are, but by certain actions, maybe they choose and, and to expand the circle and go, but we're not rejecting you. You still belong here, but let's figure out how to support you to like come closer to the circle, to be who you are, to, to find mastery and independence and, and these kind of other topics that are talked about. And so I, I really think that there is the need for that. There is that need for celebration because when you think about it, if the whole internet, and it's not the whole internet, but like a lot of the internet and people who are protesting against are showing up in spaces where you just are trying to be who you are and belong. You do have to connect with people who'd see you. And so I think that's where pride, um, and it's also fun and beautiful. And also it's a little bit commercial these days in certain ways, but I, people can choose not to engage in, in those moments, but it also allows people to feel safe and seen. And I think especially for like trans community, not everybody feels safe being seen. Mm-hmm. And when they are seen, they're usually denied. And they're like, no, no, that's not you. You're born this way. That's who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's a bit of activism in, in that way. But also, why not have fun and it be beautiful and and sparkles and all, all these other things? <laughs> um, it, obviously, that's not all of it. But I think it does also um, uplift. And for some, I think it's a rejuvenating thing to be able to be like, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving forward with this work and I can still also have fun um, and be celebrated and celebrate others. What does allyship look like for you then? Cause you know, some of the threads you've been talking about, what does mm. that mean in 2023? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's super broad. I mean, but I think I can talk about a few of the pieces that stand out to me and allyship is introducing yourself with pronouns and, and saying, if anybody would like to share, please feel free to, or, or asking people's pronouns is what is one way. Can I ask you about that, Stacey, yeah, sure. for a second? Because it's an interesting one that came up at UFV in terms of we, there was a bit of a conversation about including, and I don't include mine. Sure. And it, and the reason I don't, obviously I'm out as a lesbian and I'm, uh, um, you know, try to be as, as supportive and provide space for students. But I was struck by a student who came to me really early in the conversation and said, I'm not sure what mine are because I'm navigating that at the moment. And I've been in spaces where I'm asked to give them. I'm not sure what they are, but I'm not comfortable saying not sure because that kind of feels like it outs me a little bit. Mm. So it's just, it was it was a really interesting conversation. So, you know, I try to, I, I just, I think there's an interesting piece about outing around pronouns sure. that is intriguing. Yeah. And, and that's, again, the invitation is not yeah. to everybody has to share. It's if you'd like to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that is for allies to be able to create space around like, hey, like I recognize pronouns. So if you want to tell me your pronouns, I'm also here for it. And some people will use their name and say, I just actually, if you could just go by my name, that's great. And so I, it, it does, it creates awareness, it creates visibility. And also I think respecting another person who's like, hey, this puts me in a really tricky spot. You're like, yeah, cool. How can I address you? How can I address you? How can I respect you in the best way possible? So yeah, it used to be like, oh, well, everybody needs to in the circle. And now it's shifting to being more like individual, invitational um, to do nice. that. But yeah, so, and also like 
sometimes for for people kind of being like i use like i use he him pronouns but i also say like if somebody called me they i'd be like uh, okay like i wouldn't you know if somebody called me she i'd be like uh, i don't know really know what you're talking about but you know i but also like that it's that doesn't hurt me um whereas it it would be hurtful for other people so i think yeah just being as respectful as possible and offering offering that mm -hmm. i think is better than demanding it right yeah so other parts of allyship you were mentioning you know what else yeah um because it just feels so important right now to me so yeah. i'm i'm mostly i'm mostly trying to get your wisdom totally. on it yeah and <laughs> well and i mean i think i think there's like allyship in like different levels right i think there's like on an individual level like so micro macro mezzo i can't get them in order at the moment but uh, i do remember them um and so what area do you feel called to support community on? And if it's on an individual level, and that might be somebody at like a family gathering or just in a group of, of peers, like at a like hanging out at a park or whatever. And somebody's like, pronouns are stupid. Maybe an active allyship is actually going like, Hey, maybe you feel that way, but other people don't. And so it's simply just kind of addressing the, the story that people are making up that blankets a whole community. Um, so that could, that could also be validating somebody's chosen name, uh, and simply going and somebody being like, oh, well, why is this person going by this name? And I can't think of them that way, but we do that for other people often. Culturally, we do that for people. So people who go by shortened names or, or kind of defer their, their, their kind of, um, cultural name to a more white name, uh, mm -hmm. right. Um, so I think kind of like pointing to some of the things where it's like, well, that, that doesn't just because you believe that doesn't mean it's true for everybody and also is vocalizing that. So I think kind of challenging these little moments with people um, that you're in relationship to can, can be an act of, of allyship, um, getting educated, of course. And that can be in super small ways. Like there are resources where there's like gender one ones So you can learn about gender identity. So you don't have to kind of figure this out on your own and come across random stuff on the internet um, or listen to people who don't know anything about it. You can actually spend one hour or do an advanced one, which is like, I think another hour to an hour and a half, which also for anybody that's uh, kind of needs um, uh, continuing professional development credits, like these go towards that. So that can help you in your profession as a student in your education, but also as like as a member of society to for an hour of your time and I think there's a lot of folks that spend an hour of their time just scrolling, looking for something meaningful um, and maybe actually taking that time and carving it out to be like, you know what? No, I'm actually going to like learn about this because maybe in my life, I don't know somebody that's trans or gender diverse at this point, but maybe I will. And also if I'm a professional in any capacity, um, I'm probably going to come across somebody and I can either be somebody who gets it even if I don't fully understand it, but I can be respectful of somebody um, and come alongside someone versus being like, yeah, no, I don't get it. I'm not going to try. Mm -hmm. um, because like, wow, what privilege comes with that of being like, hey, I don't know who you are, but I'm not even going to bother. Mm -hmm. um, like that's how much you don't matter to me mm -hmm. in, in like in a workplace or just in, in general public mm -hmm. and confronting somebody about it maybe. But see it, you know, you 
in mm-hmm. academe, we have you know professors that are still so resistant to calling a student anything other than what's on our class list, right? And that's yeah. obviously targeting particular individuals, right? And it's just so... But I would ask why? And would you do that for another student who maybe would be teased about their birth name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would. They would. Mm-hmm. So what is the statement they're trying to make there? And why? Why? Why are you outwardly denying somebody something that... For whatever reason, because people also change their names for different reasons too. Mm-hmm. Maybe their birth name is mm-hmm. super, like, brings up very hard memories, right? Like, would you do it for that person? Yeah. yeah. Like, there would be so many reasons why y- you would accept and honor somebody's wishes to do that. Yet, for someone around gender, you're saying no. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. And if you're a professor in academia, are you not here to help literally educate and help people evolve and develop and learn how to be critical thinkers, ideally, and no matter what? Because even if you're in something like science or mathematics or engineering, critical thinking is also going to be important there. It's not just social service related. It's not just, you know, um, like humanities and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So... Yeah, I, I, the invitation is for them to, to look into that. Mm-hmm. And again, to, to decide, are you going to be a part of the problem, which is causing active harm to people, or are you willing to be a part of a solution by, by that small piece of saying, great, you go by that name? Thanks. That's what we'll, that's what we'll do here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it also, for university students, like if they don't legally change their name and there's a lot that, that, is required of people to do that. Like it is not just like go to stats can and they can, or vital statistics and they can figure it out. Like depending on where people are born, it is very challenging, if not impossible to change that. And so people have to go through this whole rigmarole to even get their, their degree with their, their chosen name on it. Mm -hmm. And that's who they are and how they go by. So trying to be accessible. I think it's interesting. You, you talked about education, and I just wonder, I know how it, um, the Waterloo stabbing of the professor in the gender studies course. I'm not sure if you heard no. about that. Yeah, okay. So interesting from a university point of view, because an individual walked into the classroom as the professor was teaching a gender studies course. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, you know, as a, as a prof who teaches sexuality, and many of us are talking about all those things, but symbolically for me, what was so profound is, and, you know, we can't know the motive, we can't know all, and we don't need to in many ways. The symbolism for me was we're not going to talk about that. Like mm. that education piece, that discourse piece needs to be stopped because that's where the threat is. And I thought it was it was fascinating to see the reaction and the framing uh, around that. And quite frankly, so much media that focused on the fact the alert system didn't work, which is important, right? Yeah. of course, yeah. but that almost a, a worry about really engaging which with which course it was intentional. It was that course was targeted, you know, mm-hmm. that, that subject matter was targeted. Yeah. So that broader chilling effect. Yeah. I mean, d- the discourse is important because if we're not having active, um, like conversations and discourse that really talks about truth and the breadth of truth, because truth is also complex, right? Like there, like there could be an absolute truth, truth, but when you kind of pick it apart, there's lots of working pieces, but, but if we're not talking about it, the alternate discourse is the people who are talking about it and they're being radicalized, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we know that 
a lot, there's a lot of tools of, of white supremacy that still exist. And so there might be some people listening to this that are like, I don't, how does that, how does that fit in here? And, and it just, it does. Right. Um, if you think about racism and the history of racism, like there were narratives created and discourse around the inferiority of people of color. And like, so that's what's also happening here. And that, wow, this is being talked about. This can't be talked about. It's, it's gotta be shh, like, you know, we're not going to expose other people to it because it's not what they believe. It's like, well, this isn't a belief. This is a reality. And so, you know, what was this person? I don't know their age, but student. So mm -hmm. could be, you know, 17, 16 plus um, going through. And what were they absorbing that radicalized them so much that they had to go, I'm going to go take a weapon and I'm going to go and attack this person because this person has these beliefs. And again, it's not beliefs. This is what we know. This is history live today and tomorrow and the next day. And so by it being a subject that is kind of an afterthought often, I think it allows that, that to, to fester mm -hmm. that, that idea as opposed to being like positive conversations about, Hey, this is, this is a part of it. And Hey, also if this, it doesn't match for you, that's okay, but it doesn't mean it's wrong or scary or any of these other things for other people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but, and, but also like, yeah, thinking about other reasons that people are radicalized outside of this, like, and there are, there's research, there's knowledge, there's certain things around the radicalization of people versus helping people belong and fit in and be like, hey, maybe you're not, maybe you are cisgender and straight, and, but there's also a place for you to exist in society most of which is built for you, but mm -hmm. like, just because this topic seems new doesn't mean that like people can't coexist. It's interesting. Um, hearing you talk about language of existence, we heard a student talk about that on the last podcast, mm -hmm. right? Sort of. And I, and I thought it made me honestly really quite sad, uh, to hear that kind of language, which was the seventies and eighties language that I sort of grew up with mm -hmm. just looking for a little tiny corner to exist in, right? Mm. And the fact we're here. How does living in the Fraser Valley, um, for all of us, or working in the Fraser Valley, what does that add to this mix in your experience? Yeah, the, I think the level of complexity comes in around certain people who argue that it's a part of their faith. And and I say certain people and part of their faith because I don't inherently believe that like just because people believe in God, they automatically. But interesting how some people do use God or certain scripture to, to say, see, this is why it's wrong. But there's other people too who I think see their faith and go, no, no, but, but like part of the goodness of my faith is caring for people. And so those people are able to come alongside and actually use their, their allyship and, and go and talk about faith because they, they don't, they aren't inherently separate. So, but I do think that religion is often kind of used as, as a reason for hatred um, from people who are religious and also um, have their other motives. It's mm -hmm. not just inherently the religion, but... Uh, but, and also I think that, uh, on the wonderful side, there's also a thriving queer community 
and it's not everywhere and all the time, but I do think that there's people that are out and living and are wonderful, successful, contributing members of society who are part of the 2S LGBT community. But yeah, but it's, but it's a little bit trickier. It's mm -hmm. it, in, in certain places, in certain moments, it's very, very polarized at other times. I think it's just kind of, yeah, like it's just, yeah, everybody's just doing their thing and yeah. getting along. And I think people would be surprised by that, but, but also like there are, yeah, I think there's certain people that want this community to look a very particular way um, and will do and say things to make that happen. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think it's an interesting time where religions um, in some ways is being used to a greater extent to yeah. marginalize and oppress. There's greater yeah. permission uh, around that. I come from a family from the United Church and, you know, and... I grew and up Catholic. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so a whole so, other podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's all sorts of affirming churches and all of those. So I completely agree with you that it's not religion at its core. It's it's all of that noise around it in many cases. And I think that's increasingly difficult, again, when people are sort of using language around freedom of expression and religious freedom and that some of those aspects that... Um, we just know would not be asserted if we were talking about a religious um, position that was um, racist. Oh, for sure. So. But yeah, like, and, and also like the hypocrisy of it, I think is a big, is a big part of it. So, you know, if, if the tables were turned, how would, how would that look? And if we're not asking that, if we don't, if we're not critically thinking about it, people are just buying into, well, this is what, you know, scripture says, oh, mm -hmm. well, this is the stance on, on my faith and my religion. And also, I think the other thing is it's religion is, is quite centered um, as, as a, a big part of, of privilege and identity to be able to be like, well, my religion doesn't accept you and look at how religious this community is and therefore you don't have a place mm -hmm. here. And so I, I think that using faith as a weapon, um, I mean, that's problematic in and of itself, right? Like that's not what faith is, is meant to be. That's not religion. What religion is meant to be if you're looking at it from like a God and faith perspective, but you know, also it's kind of stepping into if, how does that impact like just the one community that you're talking about? Because mm -hmm. we, it wouldn't be allowed in other ways or, but historically it was actually right. Like they could, it, it's religion just can't be used as a tool to, to argument one's position. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, deny the existence of historically like documented humans and diverse and diversity as a whole, right? Like mm -hmm. that's kind of, again, what it is, but. I've got a few more things I just sure. want to touch on, but I also invite you if, you know, I haven't had a chance, I could sit and talk with you all day. Yeah. Um, what do you think the university's role is, uh, and broadly don't just mean UFE obviously, mm -hmm. but the university role in these times, um, around these issues? Uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, to me, uh, the university was a place where you're coming to learn to be exposed to ideas, ways of thinking, um, more information from people who are experienced, from people who have studied, who are professors, who like have done and continue to do this good work. And if if it's being reduced so much to being like, well, I'm only talking about the things that I know and that's only law or that is only um, a trade and they're not leaving room for 
their students. Like who, who are, who are these, these people that are coming and showing up who are, are also meant to be like come and to be shaped. And by shaped, I don't mean academia and the professor shaping them like to come into their own shape so that they can experience and kind of go, Oh, this is, this fits for me. This doesn't. Um, so I, I do think that the university, the way that it was started was like, Hey, we need to share and spread information and knowledge and, and, and create critical thinking and also to a certain extent expertise and that somebody gains over the course of a lifetime. But I think instead, and it was actually really forward pushing in, in a lot of ways, right? A lot of like areas of study came from universities when we're thinking about like women's rights and we're thinking about like all these different areas that was so forward thinking. And I feel like now universities are often like scared and are at the whim of the public and are being like, well, if we get too politicized, what happens to us? And it's like, well, yeah, but that's what you were here to do. You were here to create those conversations. Um, and I'm, I'm also not somebody who's super specialized in, in anything. So I think that in university, I got to take classes that were around philosophy, sociology, criminology, social work. Um, I did psychology. I did kinesiology at one point, very briefly. <laughs> I'm not a science person. Um, but that, that allowed me to kind of understand and, and think. And there weren't really the conversations back then around pronouns and those kinds of things. So it wasn't that somebody was automatically denied their, their true self. But now those conversations are being had by students in universities. And if universities are going like, no, nah, we, we're not going to, we're not going to tackle that problem. We're not going to tackle how that's disrespectful to you in this space. That's meant to um, support and foster you into kind of becoming yourself. I don't know. It, it just, yeah, I think, but again, I think it's fear driven. I think it's fear driven or you have people who are politically motivated in certain positions in universities that they are benefiting from not having those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I would also ask why, like, why, why are you in the position of power that you have going to dictate who another human is and the level of, of just decency, human decency, simplicity, like respect of people that are paying to get an education here that want to better their lives, that want to better their communities also. Like I don't know many people that are only in it to not be a part of a broader university community mm -hmm. and to, and in lots of areas to want to change the world or make society better and also make money while doing it, ideally with a career and mm -hmm. all those kinds of things, but to be forward thinking. And I think in some universities that's quite stalled and intentionally being stalled to kind of see how things pan out. Yeah, and you nailed it. It's, it's always fascinating to me when you hear someone taking the position or an organization that says, well, I don't want to be political and not seeing that by not doing what they're doing is political, right? Yeah. Like, so silence is political, right? Totally. We always think about uh, uh, think about that. So. Mm -hmm. very, yeah, very much so. And also people who just by their existence are, are political. So you need to, you need to show up. Mm -hmm. You need to show up. You need to make these changes. And also I, I recognize too, it's, there is some work that goes into that, but also get the people who know how to do the work in, let mm -hmm. them do it. Like, you know, bring, 
bring the support to you. It doesn't have to be you starting from scratch. Like this isn't, again, it's not new. Other people have gone through these things. So there are blueprints around how to start. So yeah, I think that they need to, to come around and to actually be like, no, like we we're in charge here. Like this is a business and it's a business in people and it's a business in spreading knowledge and in research and in understanding so we can create a better future. I think <laughs> maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's kind of what I think most young people or people of all ages who come to university or college think. And so if the college or university isn't really doing that, then like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, if you had a message, like what's the most important thing that you sort of think about these days in terms of some of what we've talked about? Oh, yeah, that's big. I think it's really like believe people with who they say they are and it doesn't have to be a problem and it and inherently isn't. The only reason it becomes a problem is if we make it a problem and knowing that people know themselves better than we ever really will. So whether you're a friend or a loved one um, who has somebody who is questioning their gender identity or knows their gender identity, that they're getting connected to the right people. I think that that's what most people want is like for their loved one to be safe and cared for and for it to be a decision that is best for them. But you can't know that. So coming alongside of those people that you love in their journeys matters. Um, and then I think that that grows love as opposed to spreads fear and then hatred. And so I think that that growing of, of love and connectedness um, still matters. And to also celebrate lots of different people for lots of different reasons. Um, but also like when times are hard, come alongside the people you love. And if you have privilege, which lots of us do in lots of different ways to be able to to try to harness that and figure out how to use it. And if you don't know, you're probably not alone, but that's where different organizations that are um, really centered in doing good work and coming alongside people in good ways, not just in the area of gendered identity, but if you're talking about so many different areas of like health, the messages are in there and they can just be broadly applied. So you can find, you can find it, just be good consumers, I guess, of knowledge that's on the internet. So I'm sorry, I can't sum summarize that further, but um, be good consumers. Know that there is really well put together resources and information. If you can't find it, there's community organizations. So look up your area and you can find people. And there is absolutely room for allies in, in this. I don't want to call it a battle, but it kind of feels like it is at, a, at the moment. And it's not because we want to be combative. It's because defending oneself against violence and hate. It, there needs to be a position where you're standing up and saying, this is wrong. And again, when we look at different movements throughout history on women's rights, on queer rights, on rights of um, for, for black people, HIV, access to healthcare, and people might think, none of these things have to do with me. You're right, you're so lucky. Wow, what privilege. And that truly is because none of these hard, difficult things ever came across your life. 
But for the people that it did, those are the people that are are continuing to stay in, to advocate for, to make sure that people are cared for. And that's what changes our society and shapes our society. So I'm hopeful in that way. But yeah, there's there's so much there's so much out there. And to not hopefully to move away from fear as a main driver. Um, because fear makes us do all kinds of of things that I think if we were in a place of curiosity, we would find much better solutions than the the one that fear drives us to, which is often violence and hatred of some kind and, and othering. So yeah, curiosity, leaning in, and connection. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, that's just such a lovely space to to end this conversation. I'm looking forward to having uh, others in the future, but I'm so appreciative of your time. I learn something every time we get a chance to spend time together. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And also, I'm, I'm no expert, so I think I'm just kind of speaking from a place of of all of the places that I've been connected to learning from others who share their great work um, in emergent strategies, in, in research, in medicine. Um, so just trying to kind of bring it together and summarize for you here, but thank you for having me. And hopefully this leaves a few nuggets for folks to feel that they can connect with. So thanks. Great. Thank you. 